the UK, broadcasting around the world. Around the world. You're listening to the Mike Drop Club, hosted by Douglas Hammond Diche. Message received. Message received. You do not need to know what you need. What you need. Just engage with the podcast feed. Just engage with the podcast feed. Providing weekly insights into cool stuff we've read, saw, did, or heard about what made us say, wow, eureka, damn, nothing is off limits. If it motivates and inspires you to reach your goals, then it shall be discussed. Featuring guest interviews from high performers and people of influence and weekly awards for the best mic drop moment. This podcast is guaranteed to leave you pumped up for the week ahead. Don't just live life, make life boom. Hi, doing people out there. Another show, this show is special. This is our 50th podcast. And I'm honored, I'm supremely blessed to have Smitha Saro in the house. I'm going to give you a brief introduction to all the wonderful things that she does in terms of uplifting our minds so that we're very much more conscious of our unconscious bias. We're going to have a conversation about the role of artificial intelligence as well and a whole host of other things. So I first met Smitha. In fact, I was a student when um, she presented to the organization I was working for, which was Southwest London and St. George's Trust, a very, very profound presentation around unconscious bias and the power of storytelling. And I was literally transfixed. I became a child sitting literally cross, cross, cross-legged, um, eyes wide focused on the storytelling and also having the ability in a protective space to start reflecting back on moments in my life whereby I've have, have, have applied bias to certain things, certain situations and how to safely um, readdress or, or reframe some of those um, um, instances in my life. So there were many bits and pieces I picked up from this one presentation. It must have been about five, six years ago. So Smitha, I know you're on there. If if the dates are not tallying up, I, this was at Southwest London St. George's Class. I was your number one student oh, for that session. There. I, I am. I am so touched by that Douglas I really am because it's not time flies when you're having fun Douglas I would say it's at least 10 years ago and I'm really really (laughs) honored honestly I'm honored and touched that that you remember that that conversation that we had at Springfield Hospital because I know that I haven't worked at Springfield for quite a few years so um yeah, I wouldn't say it's five or six. It's probably longer than that. So I appreciate your comments. It's very kind of you. Thank you. No, no, no. Thank you because I think it was profound. Because in that space, we wanted to you you opened our hearts, our minds to looking at situations differently, and particularly around mental health, whereby the narrative yeah. is lost within the diagnosis of a person. So that's something I really picked up on and ran ran with the baton throughout my career in ensuring patients, people that have gone through trauma, have the ability to tell the story of their lives. And so true. through that, we are able to get closer to them, get new meaning, reframe things, and connect to the individual opposed to just the diagnosis. That's what that session exactly. done for me. Much easier said than done. So it's fantastic that you're working at it all the time. We've just got to keep working at it, don't we, Douglas? I'm sure we'll make mistakes, but you can't stop. You've got to keep doing it. So, yeah. 
Yes. So we're, we're having this conversation. Uh, Smith, uh, you're in India at the moment. That's right. Lockdown. Came <laughs> yeah. here on work and haven't left. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How is that over there? It's, it's unusual. I mean, in that um, I, I'm actually living with my mother and brother. My mother lives in another city normally in, in Kerala. Okay. And my brother lives in Delhi, but all three of us are together under one roof for the last three months. I came in March. Wow. And um, it's, it's wonderful because my mother is in her early 80s. And I can't remember when I spent so many months with her really? in the recent past. So that's brilliant. But talking about unconscious bias, it's also unusual for I'm the youngest of three. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm in my 50s and I go back to being the baby. <laughs> 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 roles kind of get set, which is amusing. Uh, and for those of you listening who are the youngest, you know exactly what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's been wonderful. And I feel very blessed that I've been able to, to spend this amazing amount of quality time with my mother and my brother. Excellent. very blessed. Excellent. Superb. Superb. And that's, these are the, um, the byproducts, I guess, the, the, um, the good byproducts of being in such a Absolutely. tragic yeah, situation yeah. whereby you can spend time where, where you're based, at least. And I think in the UK, we're slowly starting to come out of the lockdown scenario. Um, today is the hottest day of the year. It is sweltering over here. What's the temperature wow. like at your end? And then, <laughs> don't talk of hot. It's pleasant when it's 35. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. But we're very lucky we have a garden. I mean, during the day, there's no way I can go into the garden. It is far too hot. It's 39, 40 degrees. No, I, but I, I go out for a pleasant glass of wine or a gin and tonic at about seven o'clock when it could be maybe 33, 35. And it's funny, you know, whether it's unconscious bias or whether it's weather. I was reflecting on this yesterday evening. Yeah. You know, what we get used to, we, we, we just suddenly take that as new normal. Now, if I'd arrived from London last week, uh, I would have said, oh, my God, 35. And, you know, we would have moaned about the heat or the humidity or the yes, weather. Yes. But once you get used to that, you accept it and you actually don't even notice it. And I think that's a question of life learning in some ways about how we can adjust because all of us human beings change easily, don't we? If we want to, if we allow ourselves to, yes. rather than get stuck somewhere. And if you're able to actually change mentally, I'm not talking about uh, every other way, but if you allow yourself to, to embrace the moment that you're in, yeah. then you actually enjoy it so much more. Brilliant. Brilliant. I think there's a lesson, a big, big lesson there in terms of sometimes people get do get fixated on, on certain behavior traits and um, mm. certain outlooks and being able to reframe it as well. Is, is important as you quite right said it, but then how the big how the implementation we know that's that is where people like yourselves um really add the most value because at a high level i think we as a species know when we're doing good and bad right we do know but then yes. how do we change that um so I just want to bring this background to unconscious bias and what got you into that and how do you go about helping people transition from just understanding what the term is and then coming out the other mm -hmm. side in, in, in a way that they're better for their understanding and they actually become more balanced in terms of their views. So um, I have been running my own company now for, uh, uh, how long is it? I forgot, 11 years, uh, 2009. That's right, 11 years. Mm. Um, 
And prior to that, I was working for various both uh, local authority, NHS, and right at the beginning of my career also within within uh, uh, private corporate organizations. And I was always working in what you and I would call learning and development or HR, you know, aspects yes. of that. Mm-hmm. People management, for want of a better word. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, very early on, I'm talking about 20 years ago to more than that, whenever I was asked to work with other people, it wasn't about telling them. It was more about helping both of us in conversation understand X topic, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, those days, the word unconscious bias wasn't even wasn't even around. It wasn't a fashion statement. None of that. It was just I was just talking to, you know, going into an organization, talking to groups of people to help them become more self-aware about X topic. It could be something as simple as time management. And in fact, at Springfield Hospital itself, I remember going in once years ago and, and I was invited to deliver a training session on, on time management. And I went in and said, oh, by the way, um, I've just come to tell you there's no such thing as time management. And that was my opening sentence. And they said, oh, what do you mean? I thought because it's the wrong course. I said, no, no, it's the right course. But let's talk about why is it you're not managing your time? Mm. And what is it that's influencing you personally? Mm. So, the, so the, sh- the longer answer to your short question is, I, I was born and brought up in India. I came to London in the 80s. Uh, and I came in inverted commas, fully formed for want of a better word, mm-hmm. because I'd finished my undergraduate degree and then arrived in London. What does that then mean? I had a very firm sense of my own identity. Mm. I am Indian. Uh, I'm comfortable with who I am. I grew up in India, X, Y, Z. And it's only after arriving in London, more for me, that I realized that many people would not have had, you know, it's about growing up and maturing and reflecting and recognizing that I was very lucky in the privileged, and I say privileged in terms of liberal, accepting, inclusive upbringing I had. Uh, My parents brought me up in a very liberal way. What does liberal way mean? So in India, in the 70s and 80s, we had, I, you know, I didn't question anything like uh, religion, um, gender, which I'm sure you all have many opinions on what gender looks like in India, boy versus girl. Yes. Um, uh, Religion is another one. Caste, which is a big one. Sexuality, as in gay or straight. Uh, None of these Race, of course, we were all Indians, so that didn't come into our conversation. But, and of course, you know, if I met, and I met many people who were not Indian, you know, because people would visit India and I would meet them. And to me, they were just interesting people. Where do you come from? We talk, we have conversations about cultures and and so on. And then I arrived in London and I realized actually people of my age um, who were not uh, 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 white English or, or white Londoners, would have had very different experiences growing up in London in the 70s and 80s. And I realized, why God? And what is that about? That is actually about our narrative, our mm-hmm. upbringing, and how we are brought up. That's, that's one very small aspect of what I'm, what I'm saying to you. And it's sure. only when I started reflecting on that in the late 80s, early 90s, I thought, my God, the power of our upbringing and our narrative and how it changes us and influences us instinctively, implicitly, unconsciously. Wow. So there's a very long answer to yes. your short question. No, it's a beautiful and I, answer. I, and I'm able to articulate it the way I am today because I've been working at it for so many years. Um, 
But if you had asked me in 1995, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? I'd say, well, I, I think it's an important thing to do. I think it's important for us to reflect. Yeah. Did you? But get, the more you do it, the more you realize how much we're influenced. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. But did you did you get a was there a moment whereby um, a compelling event that said to you, okay, fine, I'm going to go from this HR route and really focus on our coaches bias, or was it uh, the accumulation of events over time? Uh, actually, neither, I suppose. Um, I remember very early in my career when I was working for Granato Leisure, mm-hmm. and I was very much out of the HR route, um, and which included hiring and firing and recruitment and things like that. Uh, and I was planning to study further, do further qualifications. And it was that point I was looking at the different courses of further qualifications that I thought, oh, yeah, learning and development aspect is far more interesting to me as a human being than the employment law aspect. So I went down the learning and development aspect. Yes. Um, but in any, no epiphanies. No, I can't say that. My epiphany was actually, if you want to call it an epiphany, my realization was talking to other people of similar age to me who were born and brought up in London who would have had very different experiences to me. Yes. Um, And learning and recognizing, because this is not about being divisive. And you know the world we're living in right now, Douglas. So, you know, uh, uh, since what's happened in the U.S. and and the world over, we're looking looking at bias, we're looking at race, we're questioning what this means to us um, as a a human being. But... the last thing any of us should do is be divisive. It is really so much about recognizing our history and acknowledging what the past was and then moving on from it. Um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, some people were lucky to have the good. Some people were not. Yes. So, so that's the thing. You know, it is really, I mean, in my podcast on unconscious bias, I've, I've interviewed some amazing people around the world. And I find that whether it's somebody from the UK or whether it's somebody from Trinidad or whether it's somebody from California or whether it's somebody from New Zealand, there's four different examples. All of them have a similar story about how they, it's theirs in, it's, it's not the same story, but it's about how you acquire these things. What kind of influences do you have? And then what can we do about it? Great. And, and, and Smith, um, in terms of your podcast channel, just for the listeners out there, do you want to promote it or big up right now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would love for, for anyone to, to hear it. I, I've been having a lot of fun with it. Um, so if you if you have my name, Smitha Tharoor, or my company name, which is Tharoor Associates, T-H-A-R-O-R Associates. Um, if you Google Tharoor Associates, it's on the opening page. Brilliant. Every single podcast that I have uh, that I've posted so far is on there. Every Friday is, and is I've when been I post well. one. <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, and thank they, you. Yeah, they are brilliant. I must say that because you, you're not left the same after listening to it. There's always something. There's always a little nugget that you that you put in there. And and again, on on this show, we like to do it's called the Mic Drop Club for a reason because we like to um, put on a platform. Uh, people that share unique experiences or have a unique way of of explaining. Things that are simple are complex in a very simple way. Like the unconscious bias thing. Um, some people might say, I'm not biased, blah, 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 blah. But the reality shows mm. and demonstrates something different. Hence, we're seeing around the world mass protests and all these things that we don't really need to get to well, exactly. now yeah. because people are, there's a problem there. People are articulating a problem. But so 
So on the My Dog Club, when people say things that are profound, instead of us having quotes from people already in the public eye, in mass public eye, you know, the whole point of My Dog Club is when we say or we experience things that are either epiphanies or do anything, we like to celebrate that by dropping mic drops. And you've dropped several. We dropped several, but I didn't want you to lose the flow. <laughs> yeah. But I will be sprinkling them in there when you say. So when you hear the 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 atomic bomb in the background, it's to, it's to, oh, it's to denote it's to know that you've said something that resonates. Yeah. You've touched yeah, no, the nerve. I mean, and, and and the point that you're making, you know, this uh, uh, um speaking with just for people to understand, because what is the point? of saying it in a complicated way. Because if you're saying it in a complicated way, you're going to get two outcomes. Either you're going to get people on the defensive or you're going to get people to switch off because they have no idea what you're talking about. So exactly. that's pretty much are the only two outcomes you're going to get. Or they might start <laughs> thinking, oh my, she's so impressive. I don't know the word, but gosh, wasn't she great? I mean, uh, listen, forget that. Yeah, so we have to talk simply. simply. And we have to understand how, how amazing... Um, uh, it is this topic, you know, because it really is. It really is about our narrative, our influences, exactly. and how we can try and reflect on that. Exactly. So I'm going to give you a retrospective. Yeah. <laughs> mic drop. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, everybody ready? Atomic mic drop. <laughs> right. And Wonderful. that <laughs> And that was for when you broke down. The, about history, about all people have a history that is good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that is a simple. That. that is just so simple, but that's true. When people cannot be able to study history, the good, the bad, and the ugly, there's a problem because things get buried. And when things get buried, they fester and they manifest their way in the most um, peculiar and sometimes very dangerous way. So it's important that people have that. And then that's my relate. That's my point in relation to statues and all of those types of things. Well, of you know, course, it's all, a larger it's all, conversation. There. Yeah, it's yeah. a larger conversation, but at its crux, history needs to be told in a balanced way whereby people can objectively, you know, in a protective space, understand the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, and formulate their own conclusions. But try to erase history does a lot more damage <laughs> than confronting and talking about it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So and that's, you and I both know that because, um, I mean, you, you're originally from Zimbabwe and I'm originally from India. And yeah. we all know stories and histories of people might have chosen to to erase. And we have to, to have to understand what that looks like. But yeah. Yeah. Do you remember this? Okay. You might remember me now, right? Um, when we were talking about unconscious bias, in that presentation now that I've been corrected 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm, you know what? After a few years, every year looks the same, which is really scary. And especially when you're in lockdown, I don't remember what day the week it is sometimes. Okay. Let me oh. see. Let, let, let me see this picture, picture memory, right? I said, cause you, 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 you presented it to the group and, and they wanted to, and they wanted the group to share experiences of unconscious bias. Right. And I said a story whereby I was on the, um, the bus no, I was walking back, actually. I was on the two things. I said two things. One was on the bus now. Another one was walking home from um, work. And I was coming out, the, coming out of the train station in Thornton Heath, walking down the hill. And there was a group of young boys walking up the hill. Yeah. And I felt that these, 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 these youth, 
They had hoodies on. They were not going to give me... I'm space. going to interrupt you because I no finish your story and then I'll tell you. I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> That's Go okay. Ahead. That's okay. They were, they we're not going to give me this space. That's what I concluded. I had the um, the fight or fright type situation going on in my head. Do I either a walk straight and brace myself for conflict, potential conflict, or do I punk out and cross over the road? So I'm battling deal with these things in my head as I'm walking down and the group of boys are walking up. And it got to a point whereby the tipping point emerged and I decided to punk out and cross over the road. <laughs> right? mm. And I got half. I, actually, I do remember the story. <laughs> you do? And, and yes, I do. And I'll tell you why. Because that, then, if my, and I, or maybe it wasn't at that time, maybe it was a different time, mm. but your story with me triggered one of my stories, which I then shared, perhaps not in a group with you, but in a different group, yeah. which was about my getting on a train from Wimbledon to Waterloo. Yeah. And looking to my left and seeing half a dozen boys with hoods with their feet up. Okay. And looking to my right and it was packed. And which way did I go? Yeah. It took me less time to go to my right than for me to tell you the story. Yeah. And that exactly is our unconscious bias. Yeah. And we do it. We can't help it because what you said earlier on fight or flight, you want to keep safe. Yeah. And all of what you've said, you did it all entirely instinctively. Yeah. And that's why I suddenly realized, why do I know that story? Of course I know that story. <laughs> so thank you for that. Douglas. No, no, it's okay because it was profound because I felt as I got halfway across the road, all I heard was Uncle D, Uncle D. <laughs> my own my own cousins, my own little cousins were they were the ones their mother their mother sent them to Tesco's to go and buy milk. It's just there the way they're dressed. So I felt really bad. I felt like disgusted, but I had no mechanisms to reflect on that properly, you know, until no, we had I mean, that that's session. The thing. That is exactly it. And a very similar story was shared very recently with me in London. I say recently, earlier this year when I was in London, yeah. where where I was talking to, to an organization, um, might have been Lambeth Council. And I remember this black woman sharing a story with me. She said she got off her train. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the place. It was quite dark. And she had two ways of going home, the quick route or the not so quick route. Walking towards the quick route, she saw half a dozen black boys with hoods on or no hoods, mm -hmm. I don't remember. And her instinct was to go the, the fast route, I mean, the slow route, yeah. and avoid these kids. Mm -hmm. But then she stopped and reflected and decided, you know what, well, this is silly. I'm not going to do this fight or flight business. I am going to walk past them and I'm going to risk it. And she walked past them. And as she walked past one of them turned around and said, hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> True story. So yours is uncle D and hers was hi, mom. But, the, the, but, but this is actually a much bigger to topic as you know, Douglas. Yes. Because it doesn't actually matter whether you are black or you're white. Mm. People instinctively, look to a certain group of people and make jump to conclusions. The kids that I was talking about on the train, by the way, were not black, they were white. Mm. So it was about the hoods on their, on their heads and their feet up on the steep that, that, was, that was threatening me a little bit Yeah. at that time. And that was easily 15 years ago now. Yeah. And I think those days the news was all about boys with hoods, if you remember. Yeah, yeah. But, but, it, but the biggest story is how, so, you know, I talked about how we get unconscious biases because of our, own personal history, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, or history in itself that we, we may not be aware of. But it's also about society and, and ads that we might see or movies that we might see or conversations we have in the playground when you're children or in your, amongst your colleagues at work. Mm. And this whole, you know, and I, I, I pause this because it's a much, much bigger topic, but this whole idea of jumping to a negative conclusion based on the color of skin 
it has been around for a very long time at many different levels. Mm. And to actually unpick that and address it face on is, is, a, is a very big thing to do. And it's, a, it's something that you've really got to address. Now, in this instance, you know, maybe next time you walk down that road, you might, you might walk past those kids. If, you, if history repeated itself and you were given an opportunity. Mm. But then again, I wouldn't blame you if you cross the road. Because at the end of the day, safety is best. So right. how do we then decide what is safe and what is not safe because, and what is unconscious bias and showing unconscious bias towards race or religion or anything else that we might be reacting to implicitly? Do you see what I'm saying? So yeah. there is no right and wrong answer in what you did. Yeah. Because you may have done the right thing. You don't know that. Yeah. Um, that those exactly. kids were your nephews or family or any of that. <laughs> and you wanted to keep safe. Exactly, exactly. And we, we share, I share that story with a group um, when I was in a nurse at, at Southwest London and St. George's Trust. And since then, I have um, moved into health informatics, you know, understanding the role technology has in enabling better care. And we do have on the crest a big, big issue whereby the unconscious bias can filter into the next um, revolution in, in technology, which is artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what are your views around that? And, and in terms of, <laughs> do you think enough things are being done or spoken about? Because I think it's, a, it's still very much niche from my vantage point. Yeah. So a couple of things I can say in answer. Certainly one aspect, I know of a company based in London that's created a recruitment platform that uses AI, artificial intelligence. So in other words, what they're trying to do is blind recruitment. And just to try and explain that a bit more, in the 70s, there was a Philharmonic Orchestra, I think in New York, but forgive me, I mean, I can't be certain. Mm -hmm. And they were finding that there were not enough women. <coughs> oh, sorry. There were not enough women in their orchestra. Mm -hmm. And so what they decided to do is they decided to recruit with a curtain. So, and they also told the performers not to wear any footwear. <laughs> okay, interesting. Because by wearing footwear, mm -hmm. you might be able to figure out if you're wearing heels or something, whether it's a girl or a boy, a man or a woman yep. crossing the road. I mean, crossing the stage. So this person would wear no footwear, be behind a curtain and play X instrument. We often have unconscious biases if it's a double bass or how can a woman hold it mm. or whatever it might be. I'm not enough about, I don't know enough about music to expand. Mm -hmm. But the point I'm making is by doing that, they exponentially increased the number of people in the orchestra who were women because they only listened for actual ability and skills and quality. Mm. They didn't look at the individual. They didn't see the color of their skin. They didn't see their gender. They didn't see anything, body size, any of it. All they heard is what they needed to hear. How good are they at playing X? Mm. If you fast forward to artificial intelligence, what that company is, is doing, uh, Notix, I think it's called, N-O-T-T-X. Giving them a free uh, <laughs> promo if anybody's yeah, free, looking yeah, for my yeah. London. Yeah, why not? Let me help others. That's what it's about. Um, what they've done is created an artificial intelligence platform where they look at certain criteria 
only, which are the actual skills. Not the name, not the gender, not the education, none of that. Mm. And only after they've done that, uh, and, and they get a shortlist, and then the shortlist is sent to X company. Of course, X company, unfortunately, is not recruiting for an orchestra, and therefore we'll have to see them face to face. Yeah. I mean, another way they're doing AI, of course, is having robots doing the interviews. Um, and I've heard and I've read about candidates finding it really difficult to answer questions, honestly, because there is no emotional connection when they're asking a question. Yeah. So, okay. again, I, I, I always answer your question in a very long-winded way. Uh, but I, it's, I think AI is very important in relation to challenging bias. What we have also done is I've also co-founded another company, uh, which is based in Bangalore and also London, where our company is, we've created an AI platform that looks at culture in an organization. Mm. So it looks at employee, employee um, well-being, but it's AI. And lots of different algorithms are used so that we are able to see what are the areas that actually need addressing to support the employees. Yes. So I think there are lots of advantages to AI. It seems to be the new world older. But as with AI as well, a human being is putting things, encoding things into the, into the, um, exactly. I mean, the, I, don't, I don't have the right word, but the yeah. technicalities are done by a human being, not by a robot. So automatically there will be some level of bias, which we can't get rid of. But at least it's a good start in the right direction. Great, because my, my view, I think I echo and I salute you for starting that company to address um, the AI situation, particularly around recruitment as well and um, mm. um, staff well-being. If we do know within the health sector, it is very much needed. There's so many instances whereby staff feel they cannot address how they are feeling emotionally, mentally with their managers exactly. directly. And then that, that does affect performance, which has a direct effect that, on yeah. the care yeah. that, 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 that they deliver. Um, in terms of the people who do the coding, I think the term you're looking for is coding. You know, when you talk about- Coding, oh, sorry. See, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always talk about the unconscious bias, typically. And again, I'm using that unconscious bias now. Actually, it's probably going to be conscious bias and that needs to be addressed. Stereotypically, should I say this? A lot of coders, mm -hmm. a lot of coders, uh, tend to be, should I say, introverted, right? Not as extroverted and outgoing as other 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 types of roles who might require people to be more outward facing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the, there's a potential danger in people who are not who don't have worldly experience to slip in algorithms that support unconscious biases because they are not seeing, like right now we know around the world um, people are campaigning, protesting to find balance, to find just um, resolution to mm -hmm. the way they're being treated. Yeah. Ethnic groups are coming yeah. up. And over the last 10 years from this happens to be pride month as well. People from different persuasions are really been fighting for the rights, but somebody who's, who's not aware of the global issues, the local issues, mm -hmm. who just ones and zeros. Yeah. They, I think therein lies the challenge in making sure that they are uplifted enough to know what's going on around them without them putting um, their own biases. For instance, there was a big issue, I think a couple of months ago, whereby if you typed in black men on Google, 
you get mm-hmm. picture of convicts and all the, and all these yeah, yeah, yeah. things. Exactly. But that comes from a yeah. code. That comes from an algorithm that a human being has exactly. written. Exactly. And those, no, it's a very good point you've made. Uh, and I think people are now addressing that. Google is addressing that. Whether it's gender or whether it's race or it's anything else, you type in certain things, you get certain type of faces and certain type of pictures. Mm-hmm. And it is about trying to address that. I think it's going in the right direction. I think we must understand that. But it'll take, you know, many more years really? before that becomes a new normal. Really? And, the, you know, you started this by giving your story in terms of, um, you know, how you got into um, being proficient to talk about unconscious bias. I just want to know in terms of, do you promote um, storytelling still in what you're doing? And how, and how, how can we embrace storytelling in the whole bigger picture? You know, like all marginalized groups uh, feel disenfranchised because of the lack of abilities to tell a story. Um, yeah. is, is that, how can we gel? What, what things do you think that we can do to try and gel um, real storytelling in what we do? I think storytelling is absolutely crucial. And I think if you, are, if you happen to be in a group and you want other people to, to share their stories with you, a good way of storytelling is to start with your own story. And if you can't think of one, make one up. And I mean that because wow. there are many stories that we all have in our own lives. That's what I mean by storytelling. So talk about anything that might have influenced you without you realizing it. Talk about your culture. Talk about um, stuff that is personal within an organization. Because what's funny is, and let me rephrase that. It might have, might have sounded odd. Mm. What I'm trying to say is even if you're working in a company, in a corporate organization or the NHS or anywhere, if you share your own personal story, people connect with you human being to human being. Yeah. And therefore they will have the confidence to share their own story with you. You could be a manager and it's a one-to-one and you're just having an appraisal or a meeting or something. It could be you, you are a team leader and you're with 10 people. It could be that you're a trainer going to an organization. It could be you're speaking at a conference. I mean, I'm making it from two people to 500 people, 700 people. I mean, I spoke recently in Los Angeles and I'm not, I'm guessing that was the largest audience I spoke, but there were easily 700 people in the audience easily. Mm. Um, But I started off by, and you know, how do you get 700 people to listen? So I told a story and I told my own personal story. I was talking about unconscious bias, emotional resilience. How do we, how do you know, how do when we take, have knocks in our lives, how do we take it from there? And then after I told my story, I just got the people out there to talk to the person next to them for five minutes. And there was such a buzz in that room, Douglas. <laughs> I can imagine. That is the part. But if I had not told my story first, yeah. and if I said, I'd like you to go into groups or one or whatever, mm. there's a, oh, I don't even know who this person is sitting next to me. Are you kidding? I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So yeah. that is the power of storytelling. But it has to first come from the person who is in a position of uh, influence exactly exactly it has to come honesty by the way that needs to be there too obviously yeah honesty integrity all of those things but i think that there's something there about somebody in position of influence authority um to first open up and share personal story it's so important and after your session uh, many moons ago i i went about trying to figure out what is my narrative you know, yes. what is it? And does that narrative I have fuel what I'm going to do, what I've been doing 
consciously and and subconsciously since mm-hmm. I came into adulthood. Mm-hmm. And I think you you're right. It is. Um, my my story my my story is one I, I share in bits and pieces, but I'm still practicing practicing yeah. telling that story because what I've realized is it, a story worth telling should be practiced. You know, so that you do know what words to put in to evoke the right sort of emotions. And on one yeah. on one stage, you had, um, forgive me, I forgot her name. You had we you had the presentation with a storyteller, and she, I think, it was a. That's right. Yes, yes, I remember her, Seema. She and I still work together, Seema Anand. Okay, do you know what, Seema? Yeah. You get one of these as well. Okay, guys, everybody, ready? Atomic mic drop. Yeah, because that story she told it was it was an Indian. Do I say folk story? Yeah, folk story is totally fine. It's an epic story, but yes, yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. from somebody that comes from Zimbabwe to hear a a, a, a story, folk story from a folk story yeah. from India, you know, yeah. I was that that really resonated to me that the power of storytelling transcends where you come from. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, you see. And that is the beauty about storytelling. It could be your own personal story. Yeah. It could be a story that you read, Aesop's Fables or whatever you might have read as a child. Yeah. Um, And and you read that and you say, oh, you know, when I read that. But then, of course, it's about what you took away from that story. Mm. And then you share that and they say, that makes sense. Do you know when I read that story? Mm. And then somebody else will have a reaction. Suddenly you're all talking. Yeah. Yeah. The power of storytelling. <laughs> Indeed so. And I know you were very, I'm conscious of your time. Okay. And I just want one last, last, last question. And that's relation to mm. one big issue I have in transformation projects that I do. And I do a lot of um, digital transformation with on big um, NHS trusts, right? And we mm. always, our biggest challenge, I would say, is articulating the benefits mm-hmm. So when we, when you say, when we not, when you say, when a project is initiated or, or yeah. to try and improve a way of working, yeah. benefits have to be very clear. Yeah. Do you find... But the question it, is... Yeah, go, go ahead. Do you, do, do no, you, no, you finish. Okay, sorry. Do you find that um, some of the benefits that we talk about in this conversation are harder to quantify or, they, or, yes. or the opposite? No, 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 absolutely, yes. Because see, it, it, I've learned the hard way. Um, I think if you're trying to have, you're trying to, to spirit a transformation project, mm-hmm. I think the first thing you need to do is be very clever in inverted commas, actually genuinely be very clever, and say what they want to hear. Okay. Whatever that might be. Yeah. So it could be, that they want to hear that by concluding this transformation project, they are going to be saving 25,000 pounds. As an example, I'm just making it up. So you start with that. You've got to recognize that they will only listen to you if you grab them by the collar and said, listen to me, you really will, this will help you. Yes. Once you've caught them with that opening sentence, and that's what I mean by being clever, call it manipulative if you like, but you really want to make a difference and you're coming from a good place. Mm-hmm. But you've got to first get them to listen. And if you start talking about something like I do, and I'm singing and dancing about unconscious bias, and they're thinking, what the hell are you talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, well, what about the, you know, my staff are leaving, where this is happening. <laughs> so I would say, you know, what's your attrition? 
you know, what kind of high, oh, we've got, I don't know, 50%, I'm making it up, you know, 50% high attrition. Okay, let's look at those figures. Let's understand why these people are leaving. Let's see how I can help your people leave. And then what I do is I zoom in with the unconscious bias as an example. Mm-hmm. But if you don't tell them what they want to hear to begin with, they're not going to listen to a word you're saying. That's that's what I've learned the hard way. Yeah, so you're talking to different parts of, of the... In, my, yeah, different people. Yeah. We're talking to different people for different reasons. Yes. So I could be talking to X company because they genuinely, you know, and I've been doing that recently with an organization where, where um, they have been restructuring. So people are applying for their jobs again and they want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about recruitment. We're talking about attrition. We're talking about team building. We're talking about employee satisfaction. And then in along all that, I throw in unconscious bias. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes, yeah. indeed. So I think that's the only way, Douglas, don't you think? Yeah. I'm I, sure that's what you're doing already. Yeah, I, I, try, I try and embrace those those principles in everything I do because I think they're the foundations. Yeah. Because, exactly. Um, and you're right, we're in the terms of the, the business wants quantifiable benefits straight away out of the they bat. Do. They do. Because they, they, they don't want it otherwise. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're going to finance it. Um, and also being able to... Um, present data to say, okay, fine. If you have uh, a better staff engagement, you have less less problems with staff retention, um, and that it does equate to better products or better services mm-hmm. that you're going to be delivering to your company. Yeah, and then throw figures around that as well. So yeah, um, exactly. yeah, yeah. No, that's good that you um, you reaffirmed that which I was thinking about I in terms so. of yeah. it is a challenge, it is a challenge, but it's one whereby. It's the foundation of your house. If, if without all of this being addressed, they will address it in the long term in very unpredictable ways. When people suddenly leave without you knowing, you not knowing why they're leaving, <laughs> or you start mm-hmm. recruiting a certain type of individual that makes your profits plummet. Because you can see it right mm-hmm. now with value since the coronavirus has hit, companies now mm-hmm. are more astute to the needs of their staff, they, 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 mm. they, they, their senses are more heightened now. I'll, I'll guess since this was since this whole pandemic has has emerged, and how we come out the other side, who knows? But certainly, with yourself, Smitha, and the company that you you head up, I think there's a lot of value that you're going to be adding that space to make sure that you know employees feel valued in what they're doing as, as well as on an individual basis, they can challenge yeah, some of them. Exactly. Their it's about empowering to be a good leader. I really think um, you really, from my, I mean, of course we're different. Everyone works differently, but I really think if you want to grow your company and to be a good leader, it is so much about allowing people to grow within them, you know, by themselves, mm-hmm. figure things out, allow them to make a few mistakes if they have to yeah. be there, there if you, if they need you support them, encourage them, empower them. And then the company grows because otherwise you're dependent only yourself, which is hard bloody work as you and I both know. Yeah. Yeah. Micromanagement (laughs) is not for 2020. (laughs) (laughs) It's tiring. It's tiring. So Smith, no, thank you very much for the show. I knew it was going to be epic. This is our 50th show. Who knew? (laughs) I am privileged to be part of the 50th show to be, to be in this conversation. Yeah. That's lucky me. So thank you so much, Douglas. No, thank you. It's got, I feel I've gone full circle with this because we started the mic drop club as a, as a little experiment to see if there was, um, if the platform was suited to having these conversations with people of influence that Mm -hmm. add value, you know, and, um, can, 
shift the focus away from the traditional um, narratives that we see around motivation, health, fitness, mm. technology, all of that kind of stuff. I think people just need different angles. My uncle loves snooker and he says, when you're playing snooker, it's all about the angles. <laughs> so, well, there you go. So, See, and it's nice to have those analogies, actually, because yeah. it is. We have to learn from, from other different aspects of, of life and living. Yeah. Uh, whether it's sitting in 35 degrees heat or 33 degrees heat <laughs> in a garden and suddenly realizing, actually, it's totally fine. Um, yeah. And what does that mean in terms of real life? How do we accept different things? How do we look at things from different angles? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it's no. part of our own growth, isn't it? In, indeed so. So um, guys out there, um, we just wanted to salute Samitha one more time. All the information oh. that she broke down is going to be available in the show notes. So don't worry about anything. Rewind, play this, share it. And also if you want to get hold of I will of share Samitha, it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, please I mean, do. I, I will post it on my, on my different social media. So I'll send me Fantastic. the link. Fantastic. And hopefully this is not going to be another 10-year cycle. <laughs> No way. No way. And maybe I've got the math wrong and it's not 10. It's more like seven or eight. It's just time seems to fly. That's all I'm aware of. Oh, my God. Oh, my. Can you imagine that? But that's what you said when you talked about leadership. Leaders create leaders. And exactly. who, who knew exactly. that when you've done that presentation, that 10 years or seven years down the line, you know, I would, it would have gone full circle. One of the oh, students. I can't explain to you how much I'm humbled by that. No, no, I'm that's very moved story, by right? what you just said. Thank you so much, Douglas. No, no, I really no. mean that. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm so so <laughs> thrilled that that you 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 enjoyed it and you were moved by that, yeah. and you are where you are right now. No, so thank all you. the best to you. No, thank you very much. The Mic Drop Club, we out. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out micdropclub.com and get the show notes and useful links. Subscribe to the podcast. Don't just live life, make life boom.